Hey, it's Erica. I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to Global News What Happened to ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. In March 2020, a global pandemic stopped the world in its tracks. Lives were forever changed. But before the pandemic, people held their breath as tensions between the U.S. and Iran escalated. Iran is vowing harsh revenge after a U.S. airstrike hit a convoy near Baghdad International Airport. A high-profile Iranian general was dead. That was followed by a missile strike on a military base in Iraq where U.S. soldiers were positioned. And then... A Boeing 737 operated by Ukraine International Airlines fell from the sky just after taking off from Tehran. A passenger plane en route to Kyiv came crashing down. Nearly 200 innocent people were on board. Fur was a wonderful, wonderful person I have ever met in my life. I mean, she was beautiful, she was talented, and losing her was the worst thing ever could have happened in my life. I'm Erica Vela, and today on Global News What Happened To, I bring you the story of a devastating tragedy that tore families apart and the investigation behind the shocking crash. This is the downing of Ukrainian Airlines flight PS752. On January 8, 2020, flight PS752, a passenger flight, was scheduled to depart from Tehran, Iran's capital, on its way to Kyiv in Ukraine. That day is etched into the minds of family, friends, colleagues, anyone who knew the 176 people on board including nine crew members and 15 children. The plane took off from runway 29R, an hour behind schedule. And almost immediately after takeoff, at around 6.12 local time, it fell from the sky. Karosh Duchenis was one of the many left behind waiting for a loved one who he will never see again. Karosh lives in Winnipeg, Manitoba, and met Farouk Kadim in 2010. At the time, she was married, and I was in a different relationship, and we were just met socially in the community. I never really thought about any of these things that happened in my life in later years. And then we met again in uh, 2017. Fortune reconnected them. But because there was a 19-year age gap between them, Karosh didn't think anything romantic would ever materialize. I never, ever imagined in my life I'm going to meet someone like her and uh, fall in love, and she fall in love with me. And to me, that was the best thing ever happened in my life. In 2018, the couple made plans to get married. Also... Because of the deep respect she had with her family and they've been for religion and everything, we decided not to move in together, like in the same place before we get married. And we want to get married and then we move to a house together, like a shared accommodation. So as a result, during 2019, they kept our different homes. On November 27, 2019, Farouk traveled from Canada, where she had been living, to visit Iran to see family and share the happy news. Her return ticket was to come back to Canada on December 25th, 2019. 
And idea was when she come back, we continue our host hunting, which were the area we, want, we would, would like. And we already looked around in the neighborhood. We really wanted a bad neighborhood. And our plan was to get married on early, sometime in the spring of 2020. They never got that chance. Farouk changed flights and was scheduled to fly out of Iran on January 8th, 2020. Before we get into the details of what happened, it's important to understand the timeline leading up to that fateful day. Oral Brown is an international relations and political science professor at the University of Toronto. He's also an associate of the Davis Center at Harvard. He says that in early 2020, there was growing tensions brewing between the U.S. and Iran. Iran has tried to create a controlling arc from Iran all the way to the Mediterranean. And they uh, went a long way to be effective in that by subverting the Iraqi regime, by uh, uh, supporting the Bashir al-Assad, propping up Bashir al-Assad who has been one of the most murderous leaders in the world. Something like a half a million people have died as a result of the repression by the uh, regime in in Syria. And Iran has been one of the key factors in allowing Bashar al-Assad to, to survive. Uh, they've also been, Iran has very heavily been involved with Hezbollah, uh, which is a terrorist group in, uh, in, in Lebanon. So United States uh, decided to take a more assertive action. And it was very clear to analysts that uh, the leader of uh, the Al-Quds Brigade, uh, effectively the leader of uh, the uh, Islamic uh, uh, Revolutionary Guard Corps, IRGC, General Soleimani, was an incredibly vicious, but also very effective individual. Oral is speaking about Qasem Soleimani, an Iranian military general and the leader of Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, Quds Brigade. He he was a general. He was a professional military uh, leader who um, uh, was fanatical in the support of the regime. Uh, He unlike uh, many of the other military leaders, um, combined this fanaticism, this utter ruthlessness, also with a high degree of competence. Most of the generals, most of the military leaders in Iran uh, have shown themselves to be utterly incompetent. But he was very effective in subverting uh, the Iraqi regime, he was effective in Syria in terrorizing, intimidating uh, opponents of the uh, Bashar al-Assad. And so he was an extraordinarily valuable asset that uh, Iran had. And he had this aura of invincibility. Oral said that made Qasem Soleimani a key target for the U.S. And on January 3rd, 2020, Soleimani was killed by a U.S. airstrike as he and others traveled from Baghdad's international airport. They managed to find him and assassinate him. This created panic uh, in Iran because it uh, revealed the vulnerability that they believed they did not have. And also, it was a situation where uh, they wanted to 
retaliate, retaliate in a way that would deter future such action by United States. While in Canada, Karosh remembers watching TV as news developed and tensions rose. He worried for Farouk, who was in Iran. So when I saw that there's this, this thing going on, I immediately asked her, could you just leave now? I mean, rather than waiting for January 8th, if it's possible to change flight right away and leave. And she started looking around to see what other options she has. And unfortunately, there were not many options. And then I hear there are Iranian regimes announced one week of uh, mourning and uh, grieving and for this guy that he was killed. Then I thought, okay, if it is one week, they are going to do that. So it's going to be past January 8th. If they're going to do anything, they're not going to do it now. So then we decided in two days later, maybe it's not worth it to trouble herself. Diplomatic relations between Canada and Iran broke off in 2012, and there were no more direct flights available. So the flight Farouk was scheduled to take back to Canada connected through Kyiv. It was one of the only ways Canadians could get home. As news of Soleimani's death unfolded, Karosh and Farouk thought time was on their side. The Iranian regime announced a week of mourning, and the couple hoped it meant there would be no retaliation while Farouk was in Iran. But then, on January 7th, Iran fired a barrage of missiles at two Iraqi military bases that sheltered American troops. Iran's supreme leader, Ayatollah Ali Khamenei, said the missile strikes were in revenge for the U.S. killing of Revolutionary Guard General Qasem Soleimani. Karash watched the news anxiously as the love of his life was scheduled to take off early the next day, January 8th, from Tehran. Her flight was early morning, and um, I was awake, and I was, because from the, they are six hours ahead of us, uh, so we were talking and talking on the phone and uh, also texting back and forth. All of a sudden, I was watching the uh, the news and I see there is something Iranian our forces are start to shooting missiles to towards um, American bases in northern Iraq. And I knew this is big. She told me nothing's really extraordinary happening here. Everything seems to be quiet. No flight cancellation they could see or anything like that. So I guess at that moment in the airport, everyone was hoping to catch the flight. And if the flights are allowed to take off, it means they have all the safety measures in place. So that was a false sense of um, safety and we had at the moment. In fact, I was concerned if she's losing her flight, what's going to happen? I mean, what she, and she really wanted to come back, especially being waiting two weeks. And then we said, the last thing she texted me, and I, I still remember it, was saying, couldn't they wait one more day? That was the last text. After being delayed by an hour, Farouk boarded Ukrainian Airlines flight PS752. And at 6.12 a.m. local time, it departed from Imam Komani International Airport in Tehran en route to Kyiv. But minutes after takeoff, a surface-to-air missile was launched. Seconds later, another. At 6.18 a.m., flight PS752 crashed just southwest of Tehran 
killing all 176 people on board. I'm Samantha Cole, host of the new season of Understood, The Pornhub Empire. Over the course of four episodes, I'll tell you how a horny YouTube knockoff in Canada came to dominate the porn world, only to shatter their cheeky reputation in a massive scandal. The Pornhub Empire is a new season of Understood from the CBC. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. In Winnipeg, Karosh awaited his beloved's return. I got a message uh, there is a, on a social media, um, so there is an airplane crash in uh, Tehran airport. And first I didn't realize, and of course I got worried right away, so what happened, you know, why, which plane? And then the next thing I heard was a Ukrainian plane crash. Then I said, my goodness, this is, how can it be? This could not be. His heart sank. She's not coming back at the time. And I saw the first pictures and I saw the carnage. I thought, this is it. I mean, she, no one could have survived that crash site. And I was desperately calling whoever I knew in Iran. I was calling her sister and in Tehran. And I called her family, her close friends in Tehran and other city to see if they can go find out what's going on. And in fact, her parents were one of the first people of the families of the victims arrived within maybe a couple of hours to the crash site. Later on, I saw the videos, her mom basically walking and calling her name and her dad just walking a few steps behind her and the total grief and basically crying and wailing. It was heartbreaking, heartbreaking. Karosh watched everything unfold from Canada and was left in absolute disbelief. Shocked, anger, I don't know, many different feelings all at the same time. I, I couldn't cry or anything at the, at the beginning. I was just shocked. I, I couldn't even do anything. The world watched in horror as the burnt metal, personal items, and debris was strewn about the crash site. Those killed in flight PS752 were from Iran, Canada, Ukraine, Sweden, Afghanistan, and the United Kingdom. Of the 176 victims on board, 138 had connections to Canada. 55 were Canadian citizens, and 30 were permanent residents. It was the largest aviation tragedy for Canada since the Air India bombing in 1985. Initially, the Iranian regime said the plane crash was caused by a mechanical failure. But just one day after the tragedy, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau came forward with a damning allegation. We have intelligence from multiple sources, including our allies and our own intelligence. The evidence indicates that the plane was shot down by an Iranian surface-to-air missile. This may well have been unintentional. Karosh watched as he mourned Farouk. Sadness, grief, everything all of a sudden became more of anger. I just started grief and anger and crying. Everything all of a sudden came over me to see how senseless it is. 
to shoot down a civilian plane? How is it possible to, to even see such a thing, you know? And I was thinking this is impossible. This is something, something crazy. But it was a tr- that was the truth. They shoot down the plane. Iran denied any involvement in the plane crash, but video began to circulate online showing a large flash in the dark and early morning sky. It appeared to show the moment a missile came into contact with flight PS752. Professor Oral Brown said after mounting pressure and irrefutable evidence, Iran admitted to the allegations. So it was very difficult to deny that it was shot down uh, by Iran. And satellite reconnaissance showed very clearly that there were missiles that were fired from the from the ground. Then they moved to the next step to say, well, this was a provocation. This was the fault of uh, uh, outside countries, that this was some kind of conspiracy, that uh, um, the airlines did not provide proper uh, uh, notice or did not provide the electronic signatures. Uh, Explanations that uh, lack any any kind of credibility. So gradually, they had to sort of uh, admit that, well, this was an accident. But the problem is that this was not an accident because this is not something that would happen in any normal kind of country. Iran's president, Hassan Rouhani, tweeted on January 10th, 2020, quote, armed forces internal investigation has concluded that regrettably, missiles fired due to human error caused the horrific crash of the Ukrainian plane and death of 176 innocent people. Investigations continue to identify and prosecute this great tragedy, an unforgivable mistake, unquote. In a press conference, the commander of the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, Aerospace Commander, said a soldier mistook the aircraft for a cruise missile. He said, quote, he had 10 seconds to decide to shoot or not to shoot, and he made the wrong decision. For Karosh and other victims, loved ones, the days and weeks that followed were a blur. Life moved on around him. And he felt like he was stuck, grappling with the loss of his future wife and the life they had planned together in Canada. Grief and sadness cycled through his body daily until he heard the news that the tragedy wasn't an accident. My reaction was one of the anger, frustration. And I was thinking I left Iran uh, from 1979 as a student when I was in my teenager's years, like 19 years old. And here I am, after all these years, they kind somehow very brutally, they reach out to my life and taken the most um, precious person in my life to face the reality of no matter how far I have come and how far I have stayed away, they can still reach out and hurt people like me and people like Furu and other people who were on that plane. Karosh wondered, how could this happen? Who was going to be held accountable? And he wasn't the only one. I started finding a connection with other families who lost loved ones within a couple of weeks. And we started to connect on a, basically on social media and start to talk to each other. And 
everybody was stricken by griefs, including myself, and we all going around and we try to figure out what's what we should do. And then at that time, I remember I said, "Look, all I can do to survive, I have to do something to get to the truth, and also see justice." The Association of Families of Flight PS752 Victims was created by March 2020, a few months after the tragedy. Their goal was to keep the memories and legacy of their loved ones alive and to lobby for a full investigation. When Flight PS752 came crashing down, questions swirled. How could something like this happen? Who was going to be held accountable? Usually these questions are answered through an investigation. But even though the crash took place in Iranian airspace and the Iranian military admitted responsibility, because of international conventions, Iran would be in charge of the investigation. I wanted to learn more about what happened in those days and weeks following the crash. Like I think most Canadians, uh, uh, absolute horror at what was unfolding uh, before our very eyes. The, uh, uh, the the tensions, of course, in the region had been had been building for uh, for some period of time. Uh, so when the news came that a, that a civilian aircraft had crashed or or something devastating had happened to it in the midst of that that uh, rising uh, rising tension, um, people were obviously uh, on edge that uh, that something very untoward had happened. And then the news emerged that um, the vast majority of of the people on that aircraft uh, had connections to Canada. That's the High Commissioner for Canada and the United Kingdom, Ralph Goodale. In March 2020, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announced Goodale as a special advisor in the case of Flight PS752. He endeavored to accomplish three things. Make sure that the needs of the families of the victims are always kept at the center of the government's attention. That was uh, uh, a a key consideration. Uh, Another was, are the international rules good enough to deal with these sorts of problems? And if not, what should we be doing to change those rules to make them uh, more helpful, more relevant, more appropriate uh, to these kinds of uh, of, of, of circumstances. And uh, thirdly, uh, uh, what are the remedies that we, uh, that we, that we need to uh, pursue at international law and how well or not has the culprit country, in this case, Iran, uh, responded to what they're required to do? Uh, and we found in this case, uh, of course, uh, uh, gross deficiencies on the part of Iran in terms of uh, doing what the international rules would require. International rules state that when an air disaster happens, the country in which the disaster occurs is in charge of the investigation. In those sorts of circumstances, the international rules work pretty well because the 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 cause of the disaster is not within the control of a government. In the case of Flight PS752, the disaster happened in Iran and their military was responsible, which means there was an inherent conflict of interest. If that country is implicated in causing the crash 
in the first place, then you've got the fox in charge of the, of the, of the hen house. And it's just not going to be a process that people can place their faith and confidence in. There will be conflicts. There will be doubts about whether you're ever getting at the truth. And that is the factor here that has dogged this process all the way along. It was from that point forward uh, that it was clear to us that we were going to have to work very vigorously under the Montreal Convention, under the Chicago Convention, under the customary rules of international law to get the accountability, the transparency, and the justice that the families deserved, and that it would not be an easy exercise because we were dealing with a hostile party on the other side that was not inclined to cooperate. While many countries had a vested interest in how the investigation would unfold, the high commissioners said Canada would be faced with many roadblocks along the way. The biggest physical challenge was the fact that uh, all of the evidence, the crash site, the physical evidence, the wreckage of the aircraft, uh, the uh, the personal belongings of the of the victims, um, all of the potential witnesses, all of the potential uh, um, culprits, were in around and and totally inaccessible to Canada or Ukraine or uh, um, Sweden or the UK. Uh, all of this was under the control and within the jurisdiction of, of Iran. Uh, so we were, we were uh, handicapped in our ability to get first-hand access to facts and figures and details and evidence and, and information. Canada's Transportation Safety Board sent investigators to Iran after the crash happened. But when they arrived at the site, Goodale said it appeared evidence had already been tampered with. Iran bulldozed the, the crash site within hours of, of the crash actually happening. So evidence was contaminated, evidence was destroyed, the physical wreckage was picked up and moved to another location. Uh, all, of the, all of the rules of in, investigating and protecting the integrity of evidence were violated in the first few hours after, uh, uh, after the crash happened and before anybody could get on the scene in order to, uh, to, to investigate. Uh, so we were, we were dealing with, uh, with uh, secondhand inter- information and incomplete information and a, uh, uh, to put it mildly, less than forthcoming uh, attitude on the part of, uh, uh, of Iran. When it came to Iran's investigation, Ukraine, the U.S., and France were permitted to participate because of their involvement with the airline and aircraft. But under international law, Canada didn't have a front row to the investigation. We made the case to, uh, to Iran and to the other parties that uh, Canada was the, the country with the, the largest number of victims. By our count, it was... Um, uh, about 138 that had direct out of 176 that had a direct connection uh, to Canada, uh, and as the the largest victim country, uh, we felt that, uh, that 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 we should 
uh, have full participant status in the official technical review. Iran rejected that. Uh, they uh, they offered us uh, uh, basically observer status, uh, which uh, which meant that we were we were several steps removed from the uh, from the heart of the process and relying on uh, the goodwill and the best efforts uh, of of others in the process to assist us uh, by passing along uh, uh, information. Early on, Goodale said Iranian officials had recovered the black box. At least that's what we were told. Uh, And it was our expectation that within a week or two, uh, because that has been the standard experience in uh, cases where where, uh, um, this evidence is so critically important, uh, it's a couple of weeks is more than enough. To, uh, uh, to make the, uh, the uh, recording devices uh, available for downloading at the labs around the world that have the technical capacity to, uh, to do this work. He said it took six months for the black boxes to be delivered to a lab in Paris for examination. Iran's excuse for the delay was COVID-19. The world was still functioning on fairly normal transportation rules through January through February, through the first half of March. And all through that period, the black boxes could have been delivered and the data uh, downloaded. Uh, But in fact, they weren't. And then there was the interruption by by COVID so that the actual uh, downloading didn't occur until six months after the fact. The delays added to the angst for the victims' loved ones. And Goodale said it showed that Iran was not being forthcoming and cooperative with information behind the tragedy. We were expecting the report to be forthcoming uh, toward the, uh, the end of 2020, about a year after the, the tragedy had occurred. That would be fairly normal experience with, uh, with these technical safety reports, uh, but it, it took almost three months longer for this report to be made available. On March 15th, 2021, the Aircraft Accident Investigation Board of the Islamic Republic of Iran released its final report. Days later, the Transportation Safety Board of Canada released its response, where Chair Kathy Fox said in part, quote, the report only partially explains why the airspace remained open and why operators continued to fly after Iran had launched missiles into Iraq. It does not explain any of the underlying factors behind why the missiles were launched at PS752, the stated cause of this tragedy. In short, the report says what happened, but it doesn't address the why, end quote. Goodale says the TSB statement goes on to highlight how Iran used international protocols to circumvent a proper investigation. The biggest gap was around this area of military participation. Clearly, the the, uh, Iranian report said it was military activity that brought down the aircraft. But then they went on to say, um, but we're not going to report on that. <laughs> so it's like it's like saying the key part of the puzzle is X, but we have no comment. It was just ludicrous for for them to uh, 
uh, to duck and run on uh, on on that particular issue. Uh, and uh, uh, the Transportation Safety Board pointed that out. It's bad enough when you put the military of the country that caused the problem in charge of the investigation. So when you've got an investigative authority that's not independent uh, and you've got a judicial system that is not transparent, uh, you've got very little hope of having an inquiry that passes muster in terms of, uh, of public credibility. High Commissioner Goodale said Iran could have voluntarily opted out of leading the investigation because of a potential conflict as Ukraine did in the case of Malaysian Airlines Flight 17. That is the right thing to do in these circumstances. If there is doubt about the credibility or the, the, uh, the integrity or the capacity of a country to conduct an appropriate investigation, they can, as Ukraine did in the case of MH17, voluntarily withdraw and turn it over to somebody else. Now, that relies on a country voluntarily doing what is what is right and appropriate and credible uh, under international law. Clearly, there's no guarantee <laughs> that a country is going to do that. Meanwhile, Iran reportedly held a trial in April 2023, and the country's official judiciary news outlet said an air defense commander was sentenced to 13 years in prison. There are reports that nine other soldiers received sentences ranging between one and three years as well. The Association of Families of Flight PS752 victims had been monitoring the developments of the trial. It was not impartial and it was not competent and it did not follow any standards. And this was really a slap in the face and someone and the rest of them are got very low uh, sentences of very negligible. And nobody even know if they are serving any jail time or whatsoever, because who knows who they are and where they are being kept. Karosh said the trial was anything but transparent. On April 18th, Global Affairs Canada released a joint statement calling the proceedings a, quote, sham trial, and that, quote, the trials that took place in Tehran must not distract the world from Iran's failure to meet its international obligations and take responsibility for its actions. Neither the trials nor the verdicts announced this week bring truth or justice to the families of the victims, as the entire process, starting with Iran's biased investigation into the downing, lacked the necessary impartiality and transparency, unquote. High Commissioner Ralph Goodale wants to see changes to international law to make it mandatory for a third party to be in charge in future investigations. The present rule, which, which says wherever it happens, that country is in charge, no matter whether that country is implicated or not. That's just not good enough. And, and we're, we're hopeful that, that, that the international community will see the credibility of, of Canada's position, that, that this present state of affairs is just hopelessly inadequate. It's been almost four years since flight PS752 was shot down. And throughout that time, families and loved ones of the 176 victims have been asking for justice, accountability, and transparency. 
This July, there was a huge step towards achieving that. The United Kingdom, Sweden, Ukraine, and Canada launched a case against Iran at the United Nations' highest court, the International Court of Justice. It's got a very long title. It's called the Convention for the Suppression of Unlawful Acts Against the Safety of Civil Aviation. So in in Article 1 of uh, this this international convention, in Article 1, uh, they, uh, they make the point uh, that uh, it is an offense for someone to cause the destruction of a civil aircraft uh, while it's in service. Uh, it has to be uh, wrongfully done and intentionally done, but it is an offense. And when such an offense occurs, the country in which it happens is obliged to investigate independently to prosecute according to international standards of, uh, of justice and apply the appropriate penalties. That is the offense or the set of offenses that we are alleging uh, under the Montreal Convention. In the 21-page court filing, the UK, Canada, Sweden, and Ukraine are looking for the International Court of Justice to rule that Iran illegally shot down the Ukraine International Airline plane. It alleges that Iran failed to take measures to prevent the tragedy, failed to investigate it properly, and withheld or destroyed evidence, including the immediate bulldozing of the crash site while also threatening and harassing the families of the victims seeking justice. The countries are looking for Iran to publicly acknowledge its international wrongful acts, apologize to victims' families, and provide assurances that a tragedy like this won't happen again. The court filing is also asking Iran to pay compensation and full reparations, including returning all belongings to victims' families. Karash said the Association of Families of Flight PS752 victims are happy with this step. So we know having a day in an international uh, independent court is going to go a long way towards knowing the truth and seeing some kind of a justice finally. And the significance of that is no other victims group, and there are lots of them in Iran, because there has been so many atrocities, have been ever able to do this kind of a seeking justice at this level and seeing going to the court, international court, for seeking truth and justice. And this has been a huge, bittersweet moment for us, realization of we are at the basically front step of the court. We are quite aware it will take years, not even months, to get where we finally want to go. The association filed their own submissions to the International Criminal Court as well. And that will be looking into individuals' criminal behavior and whatever the individual responsibility is being at whatever level in the Iranian regime, whether civilians or military. So there will be investigation, and hopefully the people who are guilty, they will be called and they have to stand trial in an international criminal court. 
I wondered what Canada can do to prevent an incident like this from happening again in the future. High Commissioner Ralph Goodale said the international community cannot rely on countries that are engaged in conflict to always do the right thing and close the airspace if there is a potential threat to civilian safety. Iran was firing missiles at sites in, uh, in Iraq, uh, and it never closed its airspace. It never issued a notice to civil aviation. Uh, it never warned uh, pilots taking off that were, they were flying into the teeth of, uh, of danger. Uh, it, uh, uh, it never even warned their, their, uh, uh, their own uh, defense missile operators that, that they should be on the lookout for, uh, uh, for civilian aircraft. Um, uh, it was just totally, totally um, uh, negligent in dealing with, uh, uh, with, with, with all of those things. Goodale said Transport Canada is working on the Safer Sky Initiative alongside other states, international organizations, the civil aviation industry, and the International Civil Aviation Organization to ensure safety and security for commercial airlines traveling in or near conflict zones. We won't wait for the, for the country that's involved to do it. Uh, we can do it ourselves. Uh, and, and Canada has taken the initiative to get countries together to form this network that will do the monitoring, uh, that will that will keep this information constantly accurate, constantly up to date, and if there are dangerous situations that are developing, then issue the warnings and let civil aviation know. You know, stay away from this area because they're shooting at each other, and they may well shoot at you. And that's uh, that's safer skies has made progress now over the last two or three years. Uh, more and more countries are engaged. The international community is very much behind it. Uh, and it, uh, it, it makes sure that somebody is watching and has, has your back and not just rely on the country that's doing the shooting in the first place. As his fight for truth and justice continues, Karosh says he wakes up each day and finds ways to make sure Farouk is not forgotten. With the help of family and colleagues, Karash helped create a scholarship in his fiancée's honor and fundraised $300,000 in spring of 2022. For me, early on, it was very important to keep the Furug's name and legacy alive. Each morning, he thinks of the life he would have had with the woman he loved. The joy has gone from my life. The enthusiasm, like, you know, the way I was, has so much of a happiness to do things, and it's gone. And what is really keep me going, it's my uh, fight for truth and justice. Global News What Happened To is written and produced by me, Erica Vela, with producer Dila Velazquez. Our audio producers are Rosalind Kafour and Rob Johnson. Also, a special thanks goes to Drew Hasselbeck, supervising national online journalist for Global News. I also want to thank our intern, Regan Goodale. Please let us know what you thought of this episode and please share it with a friend. It will help us grow the show and bring you more incredible stories. You can also help us out by giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. 
You can also reach out to me personally. We are always looking for stories. So if there's a new story you want us to revisit, you can reach me on Twitter at Erica Vella or email me at erica.vella at globalnews.ca. Thank you so much and we'll see you next time.